0: This morning, our young people can be dismissed for Children's Church, 6th grade and down. Luke chapter 17, and verse 11, and we'll read down through verse number 19. Luke chapter 17. Verse 11, down to verse number 19. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, He said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, We're not. Ten cleansed? Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger, this foreigner, non Jew. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. This is towards the end of the Lord's earthly ministry, uh, several. Commentators agree on the time frame that this took place right after in the parallel of John chapter number 11 and 12 that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember the commotion that that caused. And so the Lord, to kind of see things calm down a little bit, left Bethany on the outskirts of Jerusalem and traveled about 30 miles north to the border between Samaria and Galilee And then now is beginning to make his way back to Jerusalem for the final days and weeks of his life where he would be crucified in Jerusalem. And so it's at this point that he passes through a certain village, though unnamed, and he meets these ten lepers. Now, uh, for some of you who maybe take notes in your Bible, I'll just mention this. I preached from this same passage last Thanksgiving. You say, Pastor, are there no other Bible passages that speak of thanksgiving and you had to come back to this one? No, (laughs) it wasn't that at all. Last year, on I believe the 7th of November, uh, I preached from this passage and focused on the nine who did not come back to give thanks. This morning, I would like to focus on the one who did and entitle the message, Real Thanksgiving, and pose the question, Will you be the one? Will you be the one? In contrast to counterfeit forms of thanksgiving, like we see in the very next chapter, Luke chapter number 18, remember the Pharisee going up to the temple to pray? The Bible says that he prayed thus with himself and said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like the other guy. A counterfeit form of thanks that's based on comparison and pride for how God is so fortunate to have me in his side. Counterfeit, shallow, cheap forms of thanksgiving. And in this case, in this passage, because one returned out of ten proportionally to give thanks, we find that real thanksgiving can often be very rare, too. Rare or counterfeit forms of it. And so I want us to consider from this passage this morning, real thanksgiving is modeled by this Samaritan, a foreigner, not a Jew, a Gentile, in fact, and a man who had been a leper, not only an outcast in his own society, but now an outcast in Jewish society as well, ceremonially unclean. Yet isn't it interesting what a picture it is that a Samaritan who the Jews, when all their health was good, would have nothing to do with a Samaritan, when they all had leprosy, they were bound together. Let me just say this to you this morning. You might be a very religious or moral person, but all of us are bound together by a common problem. And that is this, all of us are sinners. The leprosy of sin infects every one of us, and we need to be reminded of that. Morality is good, religion is good, but it can be very dangerous too. I believe it was A.W. Tozer who said years ago that religion is the chief enemy of mankind. Why? Because it makes him think he's okay makes him think there's something he can do to gain the favor of God, rather than realizing that none of us get into heaven because we've done anything good. We only get into heaven because Jesus is righteous on our behalf. Okay. and We trust in him and what he did for us on an old rugged cross. And so I want us to consider this subject of real thanksgiving this morning. You know, we teach our children to be thankful, don't we? But how many of you notice it's a hard job to teach kids to be grateful? They're not born naturally grateful. How many times do you have to tell your little ones, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you? But the goal is, is that by the time they get older, they have enough of an awareness or a sense that everything they have has been given to them by the grace of God. They don't have to be prodded all the time. Okay? And I want us to consider this morning the subject of real thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look into your word. I pray that you would use the message this morning. I pray that you would use the pattern, the example of this Samaritan man uh, to challenge us, to cause us to examine our own hearts and to ensure as we head into this Thanksgiving season that our gratitude is not of the the cheap or the counterfeit kind or the shallow kind, but that it is of the real kind, the kind that we see modeled in this man. Thank you, above all, for the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is worthy of our gratitude. He's worthy of our thanksgiving. And I pray these things in his precious name. Amen. I read this week about a man who illustrated the perspective of gratitude or thanksgiving. Uh, He had gotten a new pair of slacks and he was so excited to wear them. When he had tried them on at the store, he could just tell. And you guys know how this is. You could just tell this is going to become a favorite article of clothing. You know, we men often have blood packs with certain articles of clothing. And even as it frays, even as it wears out, even as it has carpentry stains and dirt and smudges all over it, and our wives try and sneak it out of our wardrobe and hide it, and then we go on a worldwide search to find it and get it back out and wear it. That's the we guys. Listen, you ladies think you maybe got the corner in the market of understanding clothing. We know good clothing. And this guy had gotten this pair of pants, and he was so excited, and his wife took him to iron him that morning the first day he was going to wear them. She left the iron on a spot too long and just burned these pants, one of the pant legs, ruined them. And in apology and just so sorry for what she had done, she brought this pair of pants back to her husband. She goes, Honey, I'm so sorry. I nearly I ruined your pants. You're not." He looked at him, and at first he was tempted, as you can imagine, to be upset. But he put things in perspective and he said, well, I guess I can just be grateful that my leg wasn't in him when you did that. (laughs) On a more serious note, Matthew Henry pastored in England and he was a Bible commentator in the late 16 and early 1700s. In a journal entry in his adult years recounted the fact that he had been robbed that day while he was out walking. In the journal entry, so that we could understand his perspective and so that he could keep a right perspective, he recognized that he had been robbed that day and yet he put four reasons why he was grateful he had been robbed. He said, first of all, I'm glad that that's the first time I had ever been robbed and not multiple times. Secondly, I'm grateful that though they took everything I had in my wallet, it wasn't very much. (laughs) Thirdly, I'm grateful that even though I was robbed, I kept my life. And fourthly, I'm grateful that I was the one who was robbed, not the one doing the robbing. Perspective of gratitude. I want you to understand we must be intentional and real in our thanksgiving. Gratitude is not just something that we express one time a year on a holiday but it's something that should characterize the life of the believer every day of their life. And we learn from an outcast Samaritan. You remember that the Samaritans were people despised by the Jews because when the Jews had been taken into captivity in the northern ten. Uh, tribes north of the northern part of israel that the kings of assyria had brought gentiles and foreigners in and they had intermarried with the remaining israelites that were left there and the offspring of that mixing were the samaritans because of that the jewish people hated the samaritans john chapter number four is the account of the lord jesus christ and the fact that he must needs go through samaria And how profound that is because most of the Jews of Jesus' day would either go around on the west side of the area of Samaria in the Mediterranean Sea or cross the Jordan and go around on the east side. I should do it your way like this. Because they were not going to go through Samaria where all those mixed blood people were. And yet, in the Gospel of Luke in particular, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan. The Lord, numerous times, uses Samaritans to illustrate that he has a heart for all people, regardless of their ethnicity. And so, from an outcast Samaritan, a foreigner, who had been a leper, we learn four actions that characterize true or real thanksgiving. Notice, if you would... Verse number 15. And I want to just follow four actions in verse number 15 that illustrate for us real thanksgiving. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Four actions. The first is this, that this man saw what had been done to him. He saw what had been done to him. It's a word that speaks not just of seeing with the physical eye, but having an understanding, an an evaluation, a perception of the reality of what's happened. I can illustrate it this way. About a year ago, Judson was interested in buying a chair with an ottoman, like a reclining chair for his bedroom downstairs. And so he talked to his uncle Michael about getting on Facebook Marketplace and finding this certain kind of chair that he wanted. Well, Michael found the chair and... It looked like a good chair and a good deal on Facebook Marketplace. And then they decided to go look at it with money in hand. And after they got there and saw it, Michael, or Judson and Michael, when they went, Judson said, now that I've seen it, it doesn't look as good up close. You know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between seeing something and seeing something. And the word that is used here, this man just didn't see, hey, this is great, I've been healed. In that sense, the other nine saw that they had been healed. But the Bible says that there was a level of perception, an understanding of what had just happened. Now, let me show you this. This is interesting. Go back up, if you would, to verse number 14, the preceding verse. And when he, this is Jesus, saw them talking about the lepers... He said unto them. It's the exact same word. Same word in Greek, same word in English. And the idea is this, is that when Jesus saw these lepers, He didn't just see them, He with omniscience saw them. He understood the true depths of their condition. He understood their need. He understood what had to be done in order for them to be healed. He understood everything about them. Aren't you glad that when Jesus sees us, he still wants us? My heart is encouraged to think about the Lord seeing these lepers, these ten lepers. He saw them and he understood and he still wanted them. He still entered into their life, entered into their plight. These men in the first century, listen, to be a leper was a death sentence. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, provision was made if healing came. But in the Old Testament, we only have the account of two different people being healed of leprosy, Miriam and Moses. But in the New Testament, it was not a common thing for people to be healed until Jesus came along. Jesus tells these nine men, Go to the priest. The priest will confirm that you've been healed. But this man saw what had been done to him, and he understood. He had an understanding, and listen, it was part of his gratitude. If we just have a basic, generic understanding of what God's been done for us, we haven't really entered into real gratitude. But to understand who I was apart from Jesus Christ, And how bad sin is. You know, our nation's gotten pretty bad off when a psychologist by the name of Menninger years ago was so plagued by man's problems that he had to write a book entitled Whatever Became of Sin? Because we've renamed sin in our psychological understanding. We've renamed sin and we've passed everything off as a sickness rather than rebellion against God rather than sin that deserves God's judgment and God's justice, rather than rebellion against God and the fact that there's a consequence with that. But aren't you glad God didn't leave us that way? The Bible tells us that when Jesus saw these men, he saw them with understanding. And then when he healed these men, one of them saw that he had been healed. He had an understanding of what had just been done to him. And it was part of his gratitude. But I want you to notice, secondly, as we develop this picture of real thanksgiving, not only did he see with understanding what had just been done to him, but the Bible says in verse number 15 that he turned back. He turned back. Now, I'm still thinking through this and still doing study on this, but I want to tell you something interesting I noticed about this. The the words turned back... Okay, the original word that's translated, these two words in our King James Version, translated turn back, that word is used 35 times in the New Testament. That word translated turn back, 35 times. John Mark uses one in the Gospel of Mark, and then in two of Paul's epistles, he uses it. But 32 times of 35 are either in the Gospel of Luke or in the book of Acts. Who is the human author of those two books? Dr. Luke, the great phys- or the physician." And this struck me as interesting as I'm thinking about, why would Luke, a doctor, use this word "turned back" so many times? From a doctor's perspective and I'm still pardon me, I'm still doing some thinking about this. as I maybe get some more thought on it, I'll bring it around. But when you think about a doctor and his desire, if disease has taken hold in a body, his desire to turn back that disease. To good health, to see a person restored to good health, to see a person turning back. But that's the idea of this word here. But what's the significance of it in the life of this man who, as he is initially going with these other nine lepers, their bodies are healed as they go, and then he looks down and more than just seeing that he was healed, he saw with understanding what had just happened. And then the Bible says he turned back. And he came back to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the significance of that? In our lives, here is what I see illustrated. It is remembering, if you're going to truly be grateful, it is the recognition of what you were before you met Jesus. What you were lost justly under the condemnation of God. Not deserving of anything that you had. What we were before we met Jesus. Where I came from. I love that old gospel song, I remember the day when the Lord saved me. Several years ago, Joe and I were in a conference and we heard a message entitled When Jesus Comes to Your House or Came to Your House. And the thought of the message was to remember the day that Jesus came into your family's life, the day that Jesus came to your house, soon after that, we were in the area of Winston-Salem where my mother grew up and where my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents before them lived. And though my grandparents at that time several years ago had gone on to be with the Lord on our way back from a conference, we stopped by the old home place. My grandpa built that house with his own hands in the early 50s from uh, wood that he had milled, lumbered and milled off his own property and then they'd let, season it, right, let it season right there. And then in 1952 or 3, built a house right next door to the old rundown house that my mother had lived in. But it was in 1970 that an assistant pastor from the Gospel Light Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, came to my grandparents' house on a Thursday evening and knocked on the door. My mom and aunt had been saved about a year before, but came and knocked on the door, and that assistant pastor came in and sat down in that living room, and he opened a Bible, and in the front living room of a tobacco farmer's house, he opened the Bible, and he led my grandpa and grandma to Christ. And though they didn't live in that house anymore, I remember going by there and I had the guys take a picture of me standing in front of that house and that is just a reminder of the day that Jesus came to my family. And if it wouldn't have been for that assistant pastor, and I think about on my dad's side, my great-great-grandfather migrating here from Germany in the late 1800s and you ask the questions, and I believe this is part of the exercise, what if... And I believe this is a legitimate application of this. What if it wouldn't have been for that Sunday school teacher that taught you Jesus years ago when you were a little child? What if it wouldn't have been for that coworker who swallowed his pride and his fear and for the first time stepped across the aisle there in the factory and gave you a gospel tract and asked you if you knew Christ as Savior? What if it wouldn't have been for that neighbor that invited you to come to church for the first time? Where would you be? What if? What if? Where would we be? What I was before Jesus came, where I came from, where I'd be. Do you remember the day that Jesus came to your house? You remember the day that Jesus came to your family? If you don't, I'm glad to tell you, he wants to meet with you today. If you don't know Christ as Savior, if you don't have the assurance that regardless of morality, regardless of religion, Jesus wants to change your life today. He wants to save you. My dad tells the sad story of a man who lost sight of this years ago. When my dad met this man, he was living as a vagrant in a cave on the Merrimack River in Missouri with an underaged young woman, not his wife. Broken. And he'd come to my dad for some help, for some counsel. And my dad was, as he got to know the man, the man said, I'll tell you where it all started. I'll tell you where I ended up, how I ended up here. He said it started several years ago. He was one of the most successful contractors in West St. Louis County in Missouri. He said, I had multiple crews. I was building big fancy houses. He said, I had everything made. He said, I was on top of the world. His wife was a Christian. And at that particular Thanksgiving, they had all the family over. And his wife asked her brother, who was a believer, to thank God for the food in this contractor's home. And the brother lifted up his voice in prayer and he said, Lord, we thank you for what you've given to us this day. We know that it all comes from your hands. We didn't do anything to deserve any of this. This is a gift of your goodness and your grace. And that contractor, ex-contractor, told my dad that as he was listening to his brother-in-law pray, bitterness rose up in his heart and he said, God, nothing. He said, I'm the one that worked hard for all of this. It's my ingenuity that has done this business and ran this business and built this business and that has the influence and the financial stability that it does now. And that man said, he he said, I look back on it. And he said, and that is the point where the unraveling began. We just need to look back and remember where we came from. We need to look back and remember where we would be if it were not. For the day we met Jesus Christ. And so it's a second action of real gratitude. This man saw with understanding what had happened to him. He turned back to remember what he was, where he'd come from, where he would have been if it were not for Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice thirdly, a third action. The Bible tells us in verse number 15, He saw that he was healed, he turned back, and with a loud voice glorified god let me just say he would have stuck out in most churches with a loud voice you want to know what loud voice means in the greek loud voice okay it means he didn't care what anybody thought think about it if you had been given the death sentence of leprosy Where the nerves in your body began to shut off and the decay in your skin and your appendages, your fingers and your toes and your face, your nose and your ears and parts of your body began to fall off and you were an outcast of society and you ran around, lived your life wrapped in bandages and the stench was so bad. That people would stay a long way away from you and you were commanded by law anytime you got in the vicinity of others who were not lepers to say unclean, unclean. And if you got too close, they were allowed to stone you. And then in an instant meeting, Jesus of Nazareth heals you. I reckon we'd be loud about it too. Now there's more here than that because there were nine who were healed physically but Apparently not spiritually. But this man, as a a visible evidence of his not only being healed physically, but of his salvation, the Bible says with a loud voice he glorified God. He wasn't ashamed. He wanted others to know. I heard a funny story, read a funny story this past week. Maybe you've heard a version of it. A man who was an atheist and an evolutionist and a professor in a local university was out walking in the woods one day admiring the handiwork of evolution. That those trees and birds and flowers all just, or evolved over time, just happened to be. As he's admiring the beauty of evolution's handiwork, he hears some rustling in the bush behind him and turns around to see a seven-foot-tall grizzly bear stand up and roar. The evolutionist took off running, the atheist took off running for his life, and he could hear the bear gaining on him, and he lost his footing. The man did, and he fell, and he said, Oh, God, please help me! A light opened in the sky, and God spoke to him and said, All these years you've not believed in me, and now in your distress you're calling out for me. The man said, Lord, please deliver me. And the man said, I I know I haven't, but would you please do something? He goes, what do you want? He goes, make this bear a Christian. And the Lord said, okay. And about that time, the big old grizzly bear fell down on his knees next to this atheist. And he says, oh, God, I thank you for this meal that you've provided for me. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how we'll be vocal about our need in our time of distress? But then when it, God does deliver, you know the thought that I've had about this, let's be as loud in our praise as we were in our plea. In our grief, when we cried out, oh God, help. When he does help, then cry out, God, thank you. The word glorified here to speak of the action of this man, that he glorified God with with a loud voice, is to shine the light on God, to testify of the substance of the reality of God. It is, as you've heard me say numerous times, to glorify God is to make others think bigger and better thoughts about God than they've ever thought before. When God works on your behalf and mine. By the way, let me just say this. He is every day. Moment by moment. The fact that your heart continues to beat, that you maintain the ability to draw breath. The fact that you live where you live and you enjoy what you enjoy. Everything that we have is a testimony of the goodness of God. And he is deserving of our glorifying him with every breath that we have. So that others think bigger and better thoughts about God than they've ever thought before after interacting with our lives. And it's part of real thanksgiving. This man saw with understanding what had been done for him. He turned back. Reminding himself of who he would have been, where he would have been if it had not been for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he glorifies God with a loud voice. You say, Pastor, when you talk about glorifying God with a loud voice, are you wanting us to become one of those churches where they run the aisles and walk on the pews and the ladies scream? No. Okay. Several years ago, Joe and I took Judson to a church south of here. And it was one of those camp meeting style churches. By the way, I think there are a lot of those people who are for real. Are there some of them who are fake and putting on? Yes. By the way, putting on in that setting is just as wrong as people who understand what God has done for them and don't give some kind of indication of it. I remember sitting there with Judson next to me. He was probably nine or ten. And right in the middle of the service, this lady let out a scream. And Judson looked at her like that. And then he looked at me like, what are we doing here? Is there some of that that's fake? Yes. But is there some of that we can learn from that is for real? Yes. 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 The Bible indicate study sometime in Scripture, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards a conclusion here. Okay, hang on, i got one more point and a little conclusion, I'm done. Pastor Capel, in the Sunday school hour, brought our attention to Hebrews chapter number 13. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15. By him, that is Jesus Christ, you're awful quiet. <laughs> I can always tell when I'm putting something in your mind, you're thinking about it, you're like, uh, Pastor, are you okay up there? Notice this, verse number 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. What does that tell you about praise? Is praise easy? The author of Hebrews says that part of praise is that it's a sacrifice. It costs you something. It might even in some settings cost you what other people might think about you. But in all genuineness and sincerity, you have an understanding of what God's done for you. And I understand that personalities are different. I get that. But do you remember one of the greatest lessons we learned from Jenny just before she went to heaven? One of the things God was dealing in her heart about in the final weeks and months of her life is that she had been too inhibited in her praise. Too much worried about or concerned about what other people might think of her when she went to lift a holy hand, as the Bible says. Listen, if, if what this book says is true about all that Jesus has done for us, he deserves a lot more of our praise than generally he gets from us. And I'm putting myself in that category too. Okay, all of us. All of us. If the reality of who I was before I met Jesus and the reality that of what I am and what I have now because of Jesus and the reality of what is mine in Jesus and because of Jesus for the rest of eternity, if that's true then let the redeemed of the Lord say so. With a loud voice. And so to finish the verse in Hebrews, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, notice this, the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to His name. The fruit of our lips. In other words, real gratitude, real thanksgiving is in some way or another going to come out right here. Okay. It's going to come out right here. With a loud voice he glorified God. And then what does the Bible tell us? Chapter number 17 in the last part of verse number 15. Bible says, with a loud voice, he glorified God, verse number 16, pardon me, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Real gratitude, four actions. He saw with understanding. He turned back, recognizing what he would have been and where he could have been if it weren't for Jesus. He glorified with a loud voice, And the Bible says he fell down at his feet, giving him thanks. You say, Pastor, are you going to advocate that we all start falling down on our faces? Let me just say this. (laughs) There's a day coming in heaven when we all will. Saying, Pastor, you're going to have us all on our faces right here? I think probably we could do more of that than we normally do. Now, now don't get me wrong, and I've mentioned this before, okay? If some visitor who'd never been to the planet Earth came here and they had the understanding, they had the understanding that one of the testaments of real worship and adoration was posture. And they came to the outside of this church building, or church buildings like ours, and looked inside, and the outside of a Muslim mosque, and looked inside. Now, you I, I, listen. I am not in any way advocating Islam. Don't you dare get that. Okay. That is apostate. Okay. It is not the only thing they think they share is monotheism. But let me just say this. The God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. Okay, I'm making that very clear. So don't don't get me wrong on this. But posture says something, doesn't it? And the Bible tells us that this man was so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Jesus had just done for him, not only in healing him physically, but in healing him spiritually, that he went to his face. The word giving him thanks, the idea there is that he acknowledged the good grace of God in his life. Now, you may not feel comfortable doing it right here. Let me tell you something. There's a prayer closet at your house that you can get in and get on your face. Okay. And if you want to do it here, you're more than welcome to. Bow the knee in the presence of the king. We're going to be doing it in heaven in any way. What's a little bit of practice now going to hurt? Jesus' conclusion to this man, verse number 17, He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. The word that Jesus uses here, He is not talking about His physical healing, but He's talking about spiritual healing that came through salvation. This man recognized who Jesus was and trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And his thanksgiving was the fruit of that. I read of a little boy this week who decided that he was worth more than his mama was recognizing. A lot of little boys go through that identity crisis. So he made up a bill for his mother. Just think how this would have gone with your mama. He made up a bill for his mama. For washing the dishes, one dollar. For making my bed, one dollar. For taking out the trash, one dollar. For sweeping the porch, one dollar and then wrote at the bottom of his bill, You owe me this, Mama. Pay up. And laid it on the kitchen counter. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Mama found that note? A few hours later, little boy came back and found that his note was gone, and in its place was $4. And a note from Mama. For carrying you for nine months, no charge. For sitting by your sickbed and bathing your fevered brow, night after night, no charge. For putting a roof over your head, no charge. For giving you clothes to wear and food to eat, no charge. I love you, Mama. There's really just one problem with that. All that Mama provided free of charge for that boy did cost it just cost her and I want you to understand something 2,000 years ago Jesus paid it all at no charge to you and me he paid a sin debt and yet if we're not careful as 21st century American Christians we're like for being in church one dollar For dressing the way I do. One dollar. Okay. And real thanksgiving. Sees the reality of who I am. Because of Jesus. And it turns back and realizes. Where I would be if it wasn't for him. Real thanksgiving. Glorifies God. God. Out the mouth. okay. And real thanksgiving falls down in worship and submission. Father, thank you for what you've done for us today, what you've done for us through your eternal work, this work of Jesus Christ on an old rugged cross. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment we're going to sing hymn number